This week, Kristen, we've been trying to think about how to tie the week's two big releases together. And it's a bit of a stretch, I admit, but I think that what we have here are two very familiar stories about iconic figures, stories with which we are all familiar. You could almost say we've kind of grown up with them. One is Peter Pan in the new movie Pan, and the other is Steve Jobs in the movie Steve Jobs. I mean, I feel like these two figures are almost, you know, have almost been with us since we can remember. Yeah, and Steve Jobs, there's already been three movies about him this yes. year. Yes, <laughs> I know. And Pan, I mean, let alone how many movies there have been about Peter Pan, right? So many, plus that retelling that was on TV this last year. Yes, that's Peter right. Peter Pan Live with that's Allison right. Williams. That's and, right. Yeah. That's a story that never gets old. Uh, or does or it? does it? Well, we'll see <laughs> how these two movies freshen up these very old stories. We'll talk about those in a minute, but first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. Kristen, take us into the new film, Pan. All right, well, it's the 1940s. We're in an orphanage in London, and a young boy about 12 years old named Peter, is living in that orphanage. And it's quite abusive. The nuns are terrible. The nuns are terrible. Nuns are always bad in the movies, though. They're very rarely nice nuns. But these are pretty mean nuns. They're living during the Blitz. They're living during the tough ration times. And life is not so good. And Peter just wants his biological mom to come back and fetch him. And he believes that she's going to get him. He finds evidence that she will. But before he can ever really track her down, he gets kidnapped by some flying boats, some pirate ships, and yeah. taken away to what we all know as Never Never Land, but a bad version of it, where initially when he lands, there's this captain who sings Nirvana songs, played by Hugh Jackman, a lot of boys working in the mines, and then from there, he has to escape and go on an even bigger adventure. Here's a clip. The prophecy tells of a boy born of the love between a fairy prince and a human girl. A boy who would be disappeared from this world until he was old enough to return and lead an uprising against me. A boy, so says the prophecy, who could fly. Now, Kristen, can we just rewind briefly? I want you to repeat. He's singing, the Captain uh, Blackbeard <laughs> is singing Nirvana songs. I just want you to restate that very clearly for us. Yes, the captain is singing Nirvana songs. He's singing yes. and the children like must, Teen Spirit. And the children must sing along. That's Whether correct. they like it or not, they must sing along enthusiastically while they're half-naked digging in the mines. Here we are now, entertain us. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and later on, uh, they also uh, sing the refrain of Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones as yeah. well. Yes, and I have to say, did not think that was a good artistic decision for the film. I think you're correct. And um, I think this film is actually filled with a lot of interesting but unwise artistic decisions. Um, It's directed by Joe Wright, and um, it's sort of a big, uh, initially rather realistic uh, film about an orphan, and then it turns into a wild, wild fantasy uh, with flying, like you're saying, flying pirate ships, sort of Cirque du Soleil-style visuals, 
explosions um, and different kind of candy colored smoke. Yeah, uh, the, the, costumes that look like they're made out of yarn of various shades. Uh, people themselves explode into color. That's, yes, they've they been, do. When they when they are killed, they they explode into giant sort of vivid purple, lavender, bright orange uh, puffs of smoke, like almost like fireworks or something. Um, and uh, yeah, and we should also say that this story has been reframed so that. Hook, who is uh, also a kid in the mines but has grown up, um, is now uh, a, a, f- a friend, not a foe, of Peter Pan. Um, he's actually a friendly kind of hand solo type. He's oh, yeah. out for himself. He even has uh, Harrison Ford's hat from Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's kind of, uh, you know, looking out for number one, but he kind of has a good heart. He falls in love with Tiger Lily, the princess played by uh, Rooney, Mara, Rooney Mara. by the way. Some controversy there. She is not a tribal person. Uh, She's living in the tribal kingdom, but she is in um, real life, not tribal in the slightest. What tribe are we talking about? Well, I think that's a lot of the controversy around this is that it was traditionally supposed to be, um, you know, in the old Peter Pan books, there was a big fascination with Native Americans at the time. And they were Indian. And so how did the tribal peoples that were originally American Indian turned into this? Well... I, I would just say, so what? I mean, this this is this is just it's this not is as, it's not as clearly a totally and... fantastical tribe made up out of out of thin air, and she's got this vaguely vaguely Native American outfit, but I don't think you, you could peg that from any any it's particular not as bad tribe. As like the Aloha no, it's not, it's as, not bad. as bad as the no, Aloha. It's not offenses. as bad as Aloha, but um, I mean, I just I just find it a little odd. I mean, you'd have to find me a representative from that fantastical non-existent tribe. In order for me to take that claim seriously, that seems that seems a little silly to me. She's clearly not Native American. She's just some kind of whimsical, I don't know what. Um, but in any case, so there's there's Rooney Mara. Um, I didn't really buy any of these characters. I didn't buy the romance between Hook oh, and Tiger Lily. Oh, absolutely not. No, that was horrible. I didn't buy Blackbeard. Hugh Jackman as Blackbeard. I didn't understand where he came from or what his driving motivation was. I know there's a backstory that's uh, this very convoluted backstory uh, that touches on many facets of Peter Pan's life. Uh, I didn't buy it. Um, I really don't understand why they were all singing uh, alt-culture songs from the uh, late 70s and uh, and the 90s. That just drove me absolutely bananas. Oh, me too. It just was a mess, and it seemed scary. The way the music was used was overly scary and completely out of context, and it took the magic away from me. Yeah. I feel that the movie opened with a lot of magic. It did. The initial, let's say, 10 minutes are oh, really gripping, when right? He, when he's that little orphan, he's just trying to get more food, and he's trying to find out more about his biological mom. It's yeah. so, it's it's simultaneously realistic where you can imagine that world existing and magical because of how it's filmed. Yes, and, and Levi Miller, who plays Pan, this uh, newcomer, um, a young actor, he's really good. He's really good as Pan. Yeah. Start to finish, he's really good, yeah, I think. And I wanted things to go his way, but then as soon as we get off to Never Never Land, I just thought, this is a mess. Right. And why are there all these allusions to the future incarnation of Hook? Why is that what is that supposed to make me feel? It's just overly biblical, but in some sort of prophecy way that we don't care. Right. I yeah. just don't understand why we're supposed to see Hook and Pan budding, budding around together in because this heartwarming way. Because enemies can begin as friends, and friends can become enemies. Well, that's true. That's but... what they tell us at the very beginning of the movie. Right, just, but what a bummer. Just so that we know. Right. No, I know, but I kept thinking like, In case right, watching but the movie sad. doesn't actually tell you that. <laughs> well, I will, I will say this. Um... 
Uh, I thought Pan was a pretty bad date. Uh, I went with my children. Um, oh, no. And, did, you, um, did you go to that weekend opening where yes. Hugh Jackman was there? Oh, yes, I didn't the, see you the there. Oh, uh, I didn't see oh, you were there as well? well yeah, it was, I was. a complete madhouse. Uh, they had oh. several actors there as well. Yeah, um, Hugh Jackman looked great in real life. Oh, did he? I'll did bet you, he did. Did you say hi to him? He didn't have his pirate wig, I guess. No. Um, and I, so I went with my two children, and I turned to William, my, my oldest, and I said, um, so how would you like it? And he said, I thought, I thought it was really good. And then we realized that the entire film, he had not been wearing his 3D glasses. <laughs> and I tell you this story. I tell you this story to prove my point that children will watch anything. How'd you like that, William? I thought it was really good. I like that. Well, I'll be and goddamned. Yet he, and yet he did not like Inside Out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And yet he did not like Inside Out. So my children enjoyed Pan. I thought it was a pretty bad date. What did you say, Kristen? I thought it was a pretty bad date also. You know, I was supposed to bring my boyfriend and his kids. And at the last minute, they were like, you know what? We just, we have too much homework. We can't finish our homework. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm like, okay, stay home, finish your homework. Because you can't both finish your homework and go to this movie with me. Fine. Sure. And then when I came home, I said, I'm so glad that you guys didn't come to this with me. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys did your homework instead, because this would have been a huge waste of your time. Bad date. That's bad, very bad funny. date. Well, Kristen, let's talk about the latest movie about Steve Jobs. <sighs> Not to be mistaken with the Ashton Kutcher one. Not to be mistaken for Jobs. Uh, or the documentary Steve Jobs, The Man in the Machine, which we'll mention later. Yes. Uh, this one is simply called Steve Jobs. It stars Michael Fassbender as the man himself. Uh, Seth Rogen plays Steve Wozniak, his uh, early partner in crime. Kate Winslet plays Joanna Hoffman, his uh, press person, marketing person. And Jeff Daniels as John Scully, the CEO who has gone down in history uh, as the man who ousted Steve Jobs from his own company. This movie is directed by Danny Boyle of Slumdog Millionaire. It's written by Aaron Sorkin, and it takes place in three acts. Uh, in 1984, when Steve Jobs is introducing the Mac. Uh, 1988, when he introduces the Next, that black cube computer, the famously botched Next. And then again in 1998, when he unveils the iMac. Here's a clip. I built the circuit board. The graphical interface was stolen from Xerox Park. Jeff Raskin was the leader of the Mac team before you threw him off his own project. Everything, someone else designed the box. So how come 10 times in a day, I read Steve Jobs as a genius? What do you do? I play the orchestra. Now, at each of these unveilings, we aren't just dealing with him on stage presenting the product. We're dealing with everything leading up to it behind the scenes where right. he and Kate Winslet are talking through how they're going to present this, all of the press people who are out there. In every one of these acts, his daughter shows up, his daughter who he did, he does not want to admit that he is the father of this daughter, yes. even though with 94% certainty in a blood test, yes. he is absolutely her father, but she's on welfare with her mom. Yes. And he's a billionaire who right. doesn't want to help support her. We also have the Jeff Daniels character who shows up over and over again in each of these acts and Steve Wozniak who shows up in each of the acts, reminding us of not just the great successes of Steve Jobs, but also his human failings. And yes, his one roots. might argue that his human failings are much bigger than his successes as presented in this movie. True. I think that's that's the main crux of this film is that it shows him as a man who is 
this brilliant visionary, uh, you know, a very driving, forceful, ambitious, and successful leader of a of a, a world dominating and and world changing company, and yet in his personal life, when it came to his daughter, it was this one very large, very glaring failing in his life. Um, but not just his daughter. He's not good to Steve Wozniak, who was all of the technical brains behind his products initially. And yes. then he's also not good to, I mean, he spins things to his advantage in the public eye. People yes. are threatening to kill uh, Jeff Daniel. Yeah, because, John Scully, yes, yeah. Who, who who I think emerges as actually one of the most sympathetic characters in the film. Um, he emerges as a guy who has been very wrongly portrayed as this uh, uh, villain from the corporate world who took over this kind of this awesome new Silicon Valley company that was producing all this new, cool, visionary stuff. And he's the guy who came in and turned it into just another Wall Street piece of crap and uh, and and also kicked Steve Jobs off of his own company, um, all of which the film basically makes a pretty strong case was not really the whole truth. Um, and John Scully, I thought, was actually a, a really great character, and I think that's partly due to Jeff Daniels, who I think mm-hmm. plays him really well, um, and he gets some great lines in there. Um, I, I would say I thought this movie was a lot of fun and really interestingly produced. I love that three-act structure. Interesting, Interesting you say. Continue. Continue I did. Before, okay. I, before, before I interject. Say, say what you need to say. I will. Um, I, I like the three-acts. I liked the way the film is shot on different kinds of film stock, 16 millimeter at the beginning, which I think is interesting. You get this grainy, washy uh, kind of uh, uh, fuzzed out look. Um, and then 35 for the middle act and then digital at the end. The music changes, early synthesizers at the beginning all the way up through the end. Um, you know, different different kinds of music as we go along. Uh, I think the thing that what bugged me is that like any Aaron Sorkin movie, it's, Too much it, walking and talking. It's an Aaron Sorkin movie. No matter who the director or what the cast, it is an Aaron Sorkin movie. And his screenplays, you can't say this about almost any other screenwriter, his screenplays just take control of the movie. They are, they are airtight. There's almost no breathing room or flexibility to them. And while they are information-packed and funny and often brilliant and, and sort of deadly insightful, they are also really stagey and pat and condescending. And I don't like when he does these things where he'll have a character come in and refer to himself as the symbol that he is to Steve Jobs. I just don't believe that John Scully walked around saying, I'm a father figure to Steve Jobs, or Mm -hmm. that Steve Wozniak walked around saying, I'm your conscience, or that Joanna Hoffman said, I'm your work wife. And I just feel like... Aaron Sorkin, I am sure, is the smartest guy in any room in Hollywood, but I have a brain, too, and I can figure that stuff out for myself, and it would be a little nicer to not have Aaron Sorkin hammer that stuff home to me. And he doesn't just do it through his characters in that way, but also he explains what the structure is to us, just in case we don't know, by having Steve Jobs actually announce at a certain point, I think in the third act, why is it that every time I have a product launch, all of the ghosts from my past come back to explain my human failings? Yes, yes. You did not need to just do that. We're watching it happen. We are watching all of this happen and we are not dumb. Right. And so I have to agree with you. And 
even though you really loved the film, I liked the artistic direction of the film. Yep. But other than the artistic direction, I felt that it was very condescending, very heavy handed, a little bit exhausting, and it felt too much like a play and not enough like a movie. It and feels I don't very go to the much mo- like a play. I don't go to the movies to watch a play. Aaron Sorkin has said about himself and about this movie in particular, he has said that he is that he thinks much more like a playwright, and he envisioned this movie much like a play. And I and I have to say. I think you're right. That's a little bit to the film's detriment. I almost would have been more fascinated to see this film as a play. Oh, yeah, me right? too. I would and have been kind of it... interesting to see it on Broadway in some way. Yeah, it has that Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross quality yes. too where no one ever stops talking. Everyone's, yes, exactly. Always must be closing. Always must be closing. Everyone's talking constantly. <laughs> right. but, you the know... machine, the machine. <laughs> uh, yes, no, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, I still thought that Steve Jobs was... A good date, and I think it's a good movie. It's it's illuminating. It tells its story very well. It 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 moves quickly, um, but I wouldn't say it was a great date. You? No, I I liked that it was that it looked the way it did. I liked that it was willing to take the risk to present Steve Jobs not just as a great hero, which I think right. is a great temptation for people in the media. Yes, people in the media. People in America just love Steve Jobs yes. so much, and I love that this movie was willing to say. No, there's a lot wrong with him. Right. There's so much wrong with him right. that one almost wonders is the equation that in order to be this successful, you have to be this horrible of a person. Right. You have to be this mean to your employees right. and to your friends and to your family. So I liked those insights. But overall, it's just not that's not a good enough reason to go to this movie. I can't give Steve Jobs my endorsement. I'm going to have to give this a bad date rating. A bad date. Bad no date. kidding. Yeah. Oh, OK. Split decision on Steve Jobs. All right, well, stay with us, because when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Steve Jobs, because there's a documentary that's about him, and we're also going to be covering a few other movies that are new on VOD. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And Rafer, it's time for some stretchy pants. You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Am I the Queen of England? I don't know. Does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. Put them on me, Kristen. (laughs) Put them on me. (laughs) That's my best Steve Martin impression from Cruel Shoes. Surely you don't mean put them on me. Okay. We're going to do a uh, sweatpants speed date, Kristen. We're going to do six movies in six minutes, just like Dougie Fresh. Uh, We're going to start off with Steve Jobs, The Man in the Machine. All right. So this is a documentary by Alex Gibney. Alex Gibney, great documentarian who makes about two movies a year somehow, every single year, always nominated for Oscars. And in this particular movie, we're looking at Steve Jobs, not just as the great leader of Apple, but also as the guy who put products in our pockets that force us, the consumers, to maybe go against our own ideals that Apple supposedly stands for. Here's a clip. I ended up changing my entire life. I lost my wife in that process. I lost my children in that process. I, I lost the, the, whole, the whole structure of my life was just changed forever by going and working on the Mac. Because the work became so intense? The work was intense. The commitment needed to do it was intense. 
and Steve Jobs, the man in the machine, were seeing how much Apple does horrible things, how mean of a leader he is, <laughs> how much we love these products, how much we see Steve Jobs as a great idol, a great visionary, a great leader, and yet how the people who work for him, not just in the U.S., but in the sweatshops abroad, are uh-huh. abused and frequently are making pennies a day while we're spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on each of his products. They have the highest markup of any products made on the planet. And those of us who usually enjoy his products tend to think of ourselves as uh, liberal, as sophisticated, as a lot of other things. But how are we then buying into not just his myth, but his products? That's what the movie's about. I have to say I enjoyed it. However, uh, it is a little bit scolding. So ah, so yes. scolding a little you bit, say a little bit scolding. Yes. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to tell you about a rather different documentary called Finders Keepers. Uh, this is the true story of John Wood. He's a North Carolina man who lost his leg, uh, most of his uh, he lost his foot and most of his leg in a plane crash and um, kept it. Then he lost track of it, and another guy named Shannon Wisnant bought it uh, kind of accidentally at an auction and um, didn't want to give it back. He actually wanted to keep the leg, and uh, a long, very long legal battle ensued. Here's a clip. I was meant to be there at that auction sale. I had been buying up a lot and in stuff, you know. Uh, I had seen the grill at the front of the storage building. I bid on it and uh, ended up in buying it. We took the grill away after the sale was over. It was the last piece we loaded and the last piece we unloaded. So I drugged the old grill. I said, well, let's just see what this is. And I opened the grill up. I pulled this thing out and it sort of looked like driftwood, you know, shaped odd, and, uh, but it's kind of heavy. So I know it wasn't driftwood. Why would you want to keep another man's leg? He wanted to basically turn it into a tourist attraction. Uh, Wisnant felt that this was going to be his ticket to fame, and lo and behold, in a weird and perverse way, it kind of was. However, there is this other guy, John Wood, who owned the leg and had his own troubles. Um, he came from a wealthy family but had kind of spiraled into uh, alcohol, uh, alcoholism and uh, addiction. Um, you get to see both sides of the story. And what's fascinating about this documentary is how it begins as this, you know, kind of snickering freak show about these two southern weirdos. And very, very quickly you begin to feel for both sides and they both emerge as real human people. And I found the ending quite moving. Uh, as bizarre as the subject matter is, it really takes on a certain kind of very human um, and very emotional and very affecting tone. And I cannot recommend this movie enough. It's called Finders Keepers. Wow. I'm going to have to check that out. All right. Next movie. Prophets Pray by Amy Berg. This is a documentary that you can still see on Showtime, but starting on the 11th, you'll also be able to get it on demand. This is a documentary about the FLDS, the Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints Church. This is kind of a cult spinoff of the Mormon sect. Uh, They really believe that multiple wives is the way to go, and they believe in a lot of other things, too. Here's a clip. I remember seeing kids constantly being pulled into his office and the door closed. And seeing them come out with this look on their face, I know what the look is, you know. The look of, for me, it felt like your soul being ripped out of your heart, out of your body, that you have nothing left. Behind closed doors, he is a predator. He's abusing these kids. 
and nobody knows about it. And he's putting such a fear of God in these kids that none of them will ever say anything. Now, a lot of folks out there are probably thinking, don't we know everything we need to know about Warren Jeffs, the head of the FLDS? Right. That's what I thought when I first started watching this movie, too. But it quickly turns into a movie about what is the equivalent of a mob. This is organized crime. They have millions and millions oh. of dollars, multi-million dollar contracts with the U.S. government, including the O-rings in the Challenger, the space shuttle, which exploded. Really? Yes, They have their hands in every pot. They have government officials who are at their beck and call. They have, of course, all the child rape and the child brides and all of that on top of everything else. But those children, in addition to being raped and forced into marriage, are also child laborers working on these million-dollar contracts. Totally fascinating movie. It will make you outraged. It will make you fascinated. Great date. Interesting. No, yeah, I'd never heard. The O-rings, you say. Yes. That is incredible. Okay. Uh, excellent, excellent pick. Um, up next is Saint Laurent. This is a biopic of Yves Saint Laurent, the uh, famous fashion designer. Um, I never exactly knew what Yves Saint Laurent was famous for, except for being a famous fashion designer. It turns out one of the things he was very famous for was um, uh, making uh, off-the-rack fashion uh, accessible but still prestigious and still um, desirable. So uh, Gaspard Ulliel plays the Yves Saint Laurent as a younger man, which is mostly when we're uh, following him through his heyday in the uh, 70s and the 80s. And um, I was very intrigued to see this because I, you know, fashion designers to me are the kind of people that are completely off my radar. I have no idea what they do, why they're famous, why anyone cares. And I'm always intrigued with movies like uh, Coco Chanel, mm. uh, you know, the uh, uh, Igor and Coco uh, Chanel movie. Um, so I'm always intrigued to find out more about their lives. This movie quite literally told me nothing about him except that he was gay and slept with a lot of people and smoked constantly. That is the single only thing I learned about Yves Saint Laurent that was new. There is a scene... There's a scene where he's making out with another guy who actually happened to be the boyfriend of Carl Lagerfeld, hilariously. Uh, so Yves Saint Laurent is making out with this other guy, and they are still smoking. They're smoking while they're making out. I've never seen a movie that looked so much like a fashion shoot that's just full of bored models and French people <laughs> smoking. This, it's two and a half hours of smoking. I, this was a terrible date. This film I'm sorry. brought to you by Marlboro. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next film on our list, Monkey Kingdom. It's the annual Disney films, nature offering. Yeah, Disney nature. Yeah. And, and every year they offer a new, around Earth Day. So this came out um, in April this year, now on VOD. And in this movie, we follow a little macaw. This is a monkey that has kind of a cute little white flat top haircut. And she yes. lives in a hierarchical community. It's just terrible. If you're one of the Monkey King's wives, you have all the best food. Everything's taken care of for you. If you're like little Maya, you have to eat the scraps that fall from the trees on the ground that are rotting. It's like your other documentary, Prophet's Prey. It's just like Prophet's Prey. <laughs> it's horrible. And Maya has to raise her little son, Kip, because she kind of in a clandestine encounter got pregnant with a monkey from another kingdom. How does she survive as a single mom in all of this? Here's a clip. Welcome to the world, Kip. Maya is consumed by unconditional love. She is lost in her infant. 
Now, what's great about this as a Disney film, Disney nature, they're making it very accessible and digestible for children. There's a narrative that is there about Maya and her life and how she's going to raise her family, how she's going to hopefully rise up, and she does, but I won't tell you how she rises up in this horrible hierarchical world. And all of it is voiced by and narrated by Tina Fey, who just oh. adds so much life and joy to it. A and, perfect choice. Oh, yeah. She's just wonderful in this. And Jane Goodall was a consultant on this movie, and who doesn't love Jane Goodall? So Monkey Kingdom, great, great date. Sounds very topical, you know, sort of the single mom, you know, rising up against the system, making her way. Oh, she does. She yeah. does. And you'll stand up and cheer. You'll <laughs> swing from trees by your tail and be happy. <laughs> so it's also very cute. Very, very cute. All right. Good. I'm glad. I like those Disney, those Disney Nature uh, documentaries. Tim Allen narrated the chimpanzee one. Okay, our last sweatpants pick of the day. And just once again to remind everyone, these are all available on video on demand, cable, iTunes, streaming, what have you. Um, you, know, you're, you can find any of these movies on one of those platforms somehow. And our last pick is Cop Car with Kevin Bacon. It's a very small, very very modest budget uh, indie film. It's the story of uh, two kids who are out wandering in, a, in the woods, uh, having fun, getting into a little trouble, uh, you know, uh, throwing sticks around, digging holes, and they find an abandoned cop cruiser. And they think, hey, that looks like fun. They get in it and they start driving. And before they know it, they are in trouble because that cruiser was abandoned by a corrupt, murderous sheriff played by Kevin Bacon. And boy, does he need that car. Here's a clip. Okay, now you boys answer me now. Did you open up the trunk? Was there somebody inside the trunk? Did you open 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 the trunk? Will you answer me now? Or I will shoot you dead right through this door. Rafer, isn't this the same plot of the movie Let's Be Cops? <laughs> That's when that was. They dressed up as cops, and also they were adults who knew exactly what they were doing. These are just two little kids. They're maybe like nine or ten, and uh, there are some great moments in this as they are driving that cruiser down the freeway, and people are turning their heads going, what, is that two little children uh, driving a, a cop car? And Kevin Bacon is in his undershirt running around town trying to figure out a way to get that cop car back because he's just killed and buried someone. Um, and he cannot, he cannot have it be known that someone has stolen his cruiser. Um, the film's got a great ending. It's a lot of fun. And uh, one little note about this, it's directed by a guy named John Watts. And he has been chosen to direct the next Spider-Man reboot. Ooh. So uh, this film uh, served him well. We'll see how he does with Spider-Man. But for now, I would highly recommend Cop Car starring Kevin Bacon. Well, those are our six movies in six minutes for this week's sweatpants. And if you have any other sweatpants suggestions for us, we love hearing from you. I mean, last week, Rafer, after we had our 31 movies for 31 days of yes. October, tons of people wrote in with suggestions of what they thought should also have been added to the list. Ones, for example, from... Andrew in Seattle. He said, thank you so much for the horror movie suggestions. We are in horror heaven. We also watched and enjoyed some scary movies lately, including Starry Eyes, Coherence, and May. I don't know those movies. Three movies I have never heard of. Wow. Andrew, thanks for the suggestion. We really appreciate it. And you can always write us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast, or you can call us at 
1-7 movies. You can also use that contact information if you have the answer to this week's trivia question. But first, let's do last week's trivia question, Rafer. Yes, yes. What did we do, Kristen? All right. Last week, in honor of the walk, which some people think looks exactly like Man on Wire, because it is... The documentary. Yes. Right. Because it's the same story from the documentary with Philippe Petit. So there's a lot of other movies out there that were documentaries first, and then they became feature films. And you can't help but wonder, is one based on the other? Did they use the same source material? Right. Anywho, we played this clip of a movie that is a feature film, but there's also a documentary covering the same topic. Here's the clip. I am out there trying my best, okay? Why did you quit hooking? Because... Because I needed to, all right? Because you thought I was stupid enough to support you. No, so Because no. you're using me. No, because you f***ing using me. Because I f***ing killed someone, all right? My last John, all right? I killed my last John. I was raped and beat to f*** and was going to get killed. We asked you to name that movie, and we got a ton of right answers. One of them came from Leah on Facebook. Leah writes, hi, movie date. The answer to this week's trivia question is Monster, starring Charlize Theron. Yes, indeed. I watched it home alone when I was 13, and it traumatized me for life. Movie Date is my absolute favorite of all podcasts, This American Life Who? And you guys are a dream team. I don't know how I ever decided which movies to watch before you guys. Thank you. P.S. My grade 10 law teacher made us watch the documentary in class as well which also traumatized me. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, where were your Stop parents? Stop watching this movie, Leah. Where You're going to get traumatized forever. <laughs> 13 years old watching Monster. Yes, the documentary is great too. Uh, Eileen Warnos, The Selling of a Serial Killer. That's by uh, the great Nick Broomfield, also a, a great documentary. Um, okay, so this week uh, we've got a, a question for you. I don't think this one's going to be a stumper, but here you go. Steve Jobs, the movie, uh, used uh, vintage Roland synthesizers from the 80s to capture that 1984-era sound. Here's a theme song from a movie that came out that year, 1984, and used Roland synthesizers back when they were new. Here's the theme song. If you know the name of that movie, give us a call, 5717-MOVIES. Or you can message us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. 